four principles for setting boundaries in your love life. This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast, where each week we learn something new about love and marriage. Romantic love is an incredible gift from God, but it can only be healthy within the right boundaries. Today, we will learn about setting those healthy boundaries in your marriage. Just as it is important to find the property lines of your Fixer Upper, even more so to find the right boundaries in your love life. Be sure to visit fixeruppermarriage.org where you can follow along with the show notes and enjoy additional content. So here it is, part one of Setting Boundaries in Your Love Life, Finding the Property Lines of Your Fixer Upper. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 6. Jesus said these words, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Since we're looking in our lesson today, setting boundaries in your love life or finding the property lines of your fixer upper. Why are property lines so important in a house? Why is it so important to know where your property lines are? It's so that you know where your property ends and where your neighbor's property begins. You know, in case you wanted to build a fence around your property, it'd be a good idea before you did that to know where the property lines are. You wouldn't want to plant a hedge of plants and it be on your neighbor's property. Or you wouldn't want to build an addition to your house and it wind up that it's on your neighbor's property or that it's too close to the property line and the county makes you take down what you constructed. If you wanted to build an addition to your house, you would need to know where those lines are. How do you find your property lines? Well, your deed, if you have your deed, if you have paperwork for your house, you should have the measurements of where those property lines are. You could locate the metal pins in the ground at your, your property. They're where they surveyed our house. I can still find the pins. It's hard to find those things. Those things are incredibly hard to find. But I suppose maybe you could have a metal detector and find out where those property line pins are. Or you know what? You could be on the safe side. You could hire a professional surveyor to come out and say this is where the lines are of the property that you own. And what are the boundaries in your marriage? What are the property lines in your marriage? You know, God designed marriage with certain limits and boundaries. And boundaries are important to maintaining a healthy love. You know, today we'll learn about some of those boundaries. We'll learn some principles, four principles this morning, about setting boundaries in your love. Four principles for setting boundaries in your love. Number one, marriage is two lives becoming one. It's two lives becoming one. And we see that in the text that I read this morning. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. God has no problem with the gender identity, does, it, does he? He makes it really clear. And today, people don't have the moral compass of the Word of God to guide them. And they're so confused and so much turmoil. It's just awful. People don't, but people don't have, you have to understand, they don't have the kind of compass that we do. We have the compass of truth of God's Word. And they're confused today about Culture has got confused, but God has no issues at all with understanding gender identity. He said, from the beginning, God made male and female. And then for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother 
and cleave to his wife. Two separate lives become one when we say I do. It takes two separate lives to do that. You know, you live your life as a single person and now two separate lives become one in marriage. And when we get married as a couple, we can do things that maybe we couldn't do before. There are things we can accomplish as a couple that maybe we couldn't do by ourselves. One, th one thing is making a family, right? That's one of the first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes the baby carriage, right? We can make a family. That's something you can't do by yourself. You get to share your life with someone that you love. And you get to grow old together, to be in love and grow old and share those years with one another. God made marriage to complete life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Marriage is this incredible union that helps us get through life. I don't know how many times as I've faced heartache and disappointment, or maybe I've been down and I've had a wife to be with me through those times, and that's a blessing that God gives us each other. And with the Lord's help and together, we can make it through anything. You know, my wife and I, we hold hands sometimes, and I just tell her, with the Lord's help, and uh, together, I'm right here, I'm with you. We can make it through whatever we're going through because we have God on our side and we have each other. God gave us one another. You're together in anything that you go to, go through. We are two halves that make a whole together. Sometimes I think God has a really good sense of humor when he puts people together. When I met my wife, we had mutual friends. We didn't know each other and we all, both had mutual friends several different sets of mutual friends that we had that we knew and nobody ever put us together nobody ever thought about that and when we started talking to each other the people that knew me and knew my wife they said there's no way this is going to work brother Jason is a complete introvert he's this guy that just sits around and thinks all the time I mean he very rarely says anything and one lady in the church when I talked to my wife for the first time she said well he said more to you in five minutes than he said to me in 20 years or whatever it was and then my wife is this bubbly person I mean she's just so outgoing she goes in a room and everybody the whole demeanor of the room changes and I'm not that way I'm the total opposite of that and people say there's no way that's going to work out Brother Jason, that's not going to work. And somehow, some way, God has his sense of humor where he puts opposites together, doesn't he? And maybe it's because he wants us to be balanced out. I don't know. But God, he puts us together and the two of us together can do more like two halves that make a whole together. It takes two separate lives to come together. We have our own lives separate and then we come together and we make a whole and we're able to do more for the Lord and more in our life. Number two, marriage does not fix you. The second principle to setting boundaries in your marriage, marriage does not fix you. You have to understand that marriage does not fix you. It does not change who you are. You know, God's design is for you to be a mature person. The Bible says that uh, leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. So as we grow up and our parents train us and we go through things in life, it's God's will that we become complete as a person and we become mature. And then we get married and it's two mature people 
that marriage doesn't change who we are. We're still the same people. Marriage does not change your immaturity or your character problems. You know, one thing that's always drove me crazy are the kids that have temper tantrums. If you want to see it, you go to Walmart on any Saturday night. I mean, they are everywhere. I was in Walmart a couple of weeks ago or late on a Saturday night, and there were kids everywhere. They were uh, every aisle, it seemed like. There was another kid pitching a fit or having a tantrum over something they didn't get or something that they wanted. And one couple, I walked by them, they really had to stoop low. I mean, this is what they told their kid. They said, if you don't straighten up, if you don't stop doing this, Santa is not going to bring you anything for Christmas. And that kid, he just immediately said, man, they really had to go low to stoop to that point. I mean, Santa's not, you're not going to get anything for Christmas if you don't stop having these tantrums. And you know, all my kids, all my girls went through that phase where they wanted to have these tantrums when they didn't get what they wanted. I've always been, I've jumped on it immediately and tried to correct it because it, it just gets under my skin so bad. But Jillian now, is going through the phase where she wants to uh, have and we're trying to deal with that but she pokes her bottom lip out and she runs to her room or whatever she wants but she has these tan these tantrums and we, we as we grow and mature we shouldn't have tantrums anymore should we? we we grow up but some people never get out of the tantrums have you ever met an adult who has tantrums I've met them I mean, they don't get their way, and they have a temper tantrum. It's just terrible. They've never learned. They never learned that lesson in life. They never went past that level of maturity. Think about the spouse who pouts. You ever seen somebody who pouts when they don't get their way? Or the spouse who withdraws. Some women, some wives, if you, they don't get what they want, they turn into this, like, frigid Frida. They're like a different person. I mean, all of a sudden, for a week, they're just this cold, indifferent person. It was they never grew up. They never matured to the point where they learned how to handle their problems in a reasonable way. But marriage doesn't change who you are. How about the husband who turns into Clint Eastwood on those old spaghetti westerns? I mean, doesn't say anything for a whole week unless it's to pull out a gun and, and draw in the middle of the street or meet me at high noon. Uh, go ahead, make my day, woman. You know, we just want to be tough. And, you know, you didn't give me what I want, and I want to take care of you right now because that's my way of having a tantrum but when we mature, you know, we learn that you can sit down and work out your differences. You know, it's something you have to correct. It's a behavior you have to correct on your own. Marriage doesn't magically make you a mature person, does it? We can all say that. Maturity happens when we correct the problems in our own life. And God's intent is for us to be mature when we get married. But sometimes we all have things that we're not mature in, right? And we have to keep learning and growing and developing as a person, but you have to fix your own problems. But there are things in my life and things in your life, character issues, our walk with the Lord and things that we have to solve on our own and that's something that your marriage cannot solve for you. You are an individual person even though you are married to your spouse. Number three, you cannot change your spouse. The third principle is you cannot change your spouse. When you look at the property lines of your house and you go out there and look and you do, when maybe you pay somebody to come out and they tell you, they, they put the flags up and that you find out exactly where your property, property runs. The reason you do that is for you, not your neighbor. 
You do that because you need to know I can now make these improvements. You know, I can now put this fence up on my property. But you, you don't do that to change something about your neighbor's property, right? Well, I've got these in my property. I've got it lined up. I know we're on property. Line. Now my neighbor can build that extension on their house. Or now, No, that's not the way it is. You know where those lines are so that you can make improvements to your own property. And that's the way it is in marriage. You have to focus on what you can fix to your property. What improvements can you make? You can't change your spouse. You can only change you. But common ways we think we can change our spouse. Well, we think my spouse has this bad behavior and I can nag them. And if I keep, I just stay on them all the time. They'll stop doing that negative behavior. They'll stop doing what I don't like for them to do if I just nag them or if I threaten them, if I get my Clint Eastwood face on and I threaten my wife, she will finally get this house cleaned up the way I like it and get my tea right. I mean, I hate all that sugar in my tea. If she could just my cold glass of tea and a hot meal when I come home, if I could just make her do what I want her to do, right? If I could threaten her, maybe I can intimidate or how about manipulate my spouse to make her or him give me what I want in this marriage. But common ways we think we can, we think sometimes that we can change our spouse, but really we can't do that. Your spouse needs the right motivation to change. The motivation for your spouse to change behavior should be love. By way of illustration, consider my walk with the Lord. I do what I do for the Lord because I love Him. There are certain things that I do not do because I love Him. Look, listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains, constrained us. You know what an insult it would be for me to do what I do for the Lord for some other reason than that I love Him. You know, I serve, Lord, I serve you because I'm afraid of what my preacher may think. Lord, I don't do certain things because I'm afraid what this group of people may think about me. Well, that's terrible. That would be awful if the Lord were to find out that that's your motivation for serving Him. My goodness, it's not out of love. It's because you want to please somebody else or somebody's pushed you into doing something or intimidated you. But you know what? You can't force your spouse to change. You might be able to temporarily change that behavior that they have, but it'll only be temporary because that's not something that is in their heart. It's not something that they've made that decision for themselves to do. There's no real change other than that motivation being love. There's no real lasting change without love. If it's not in their heart, they will eventually rebel against it. And you've seen it happen, I'm sure, many, many times as I have. I've seen people that don't have things in their heart and eventually maybe they're being forced to do that. But marriage is not a prison. I don't, guess what? I don't have to be faithful to my wife. But I am faithful to her because I love her. You know what? I don't have to submit to the needs of my, life, my wife like the Bible tells me. But I love her and I will submit to her needs. And my wife doesn't have to submit to me as the leader of our home, as the head of our home. But she does because she loves me. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, listen to this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You cannot change your spouse. The only person you can change is, guess who? You are the only person you can change. Number four, give up on judging each other. It's just in our human nature 
to judge one another. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's in our human sin nature to judge one another. Sure. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, in verse number 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considers not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? Behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, Jesus says, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. And I just believe that the Bible says what it says and means what it means. And sometimes we think, well, this isn't what the Bible really means, but the Bible does mean this. We're not to judge one another. We're not to judge each other. Let's just say, for example, that I have a friend who gets caught up in some sin, and I would just say that's terrible. Whatever sin that is, it's a terrible sin that this person's got caught up, and I drop the hammer. I want to drop the hammer on that person. And you know, maybe we talk about that person to our friends, and I can't believe brother so-and-so did what he did. It's just terrible. Can't believe what maybe my spouse did. It's just awful. And you start to analyze how in the world could they have done such a terrible and awful thing. But then when you stop to think, when you stop to consider really the way Jesus puts this, you start to think before you condemn someone else for their actions to think about their own. You may start to think about the moat that you have in your eye, in your own eye. You say, well, you know what? I didn't witness to anyone this past week. And then you start to think and the moat just gets bigger because since you didn't make any effort or concern to witness to anybody, since you came in contact with all these people, now someone may die and spend eternity in hell because you didn't care enough to even mention Jesus to them. And now all of a sudden, guess what? You have a beam in your eye. But the Bible doesn't call the only person that God authorizes me to judge is me. The Bible authorizes me to judge me, even if someone is caught up in sin. The Bible says, for if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one, In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, listen to this, ye which are spiritual, okay, you people who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So what the Bible says, with meekness and empathy, considering yourself. You know what? This sin that my spouse did or this problem that my spouse is caught up in, I could be caught up in the same problem. So you see why we shouldn't judge people. Bible restoration is with meekness and empathy. You should never excuse someone's sin or keep them from suffering the consequences of their sin, right? So this person did wrong, then they should have to suffer. They should feel the consequences for what they did. But we have no right to speak, them, speak to them in a judgmental way. We have no right to get a judgmental spirit because guess what? We have our own problems that need to be judged in our own life. And the Bible in this life that we're living in right now, God does not authorize us to be the judge of anyone. Jesus said, judge not. And he meant what he said. You know what? There's no fine print in there. There's no in between the lines. There's nothing hidden in there. It just, Jesus said it and that's what it means. Stop judging your spouse. Stop reminding your spouse of how bad they are. Stop bringing up past mistakes. Stop pointing out everything they've done or do wrong. And usually when we do that, the wrong that's been done is, guess to who? It's to me. 
right? I'm upset with my wife because she has done me wrong, not because she's done anybody else wrong, but me, I've been done wrong. But usually that's the way it works. But stop judging your spouse. Learn to speak. Learn how to speak the truth in love. Learn how to talk to your spouse in a way that is loving and kind. That henceforth, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to see. But listen to this, but speaking the truth in love. You can speak the truth in love to your spouse. You can tell them that they're doing something wrong and do it in a loving and a kind in a not judgmental way. So in conclusion this morning, four principles for setting boundaries in your love life. Number one, marriage is two lives becoming one. Number two, marriage does not fix your problems. Number three, you cannot change your spouse. And number four, give up on judging each other. God has something amazing planned for your marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege to be a part of your family and to open up the Word of God and to learn principles from your Word about marriage. Help us to grow. Help us not to be stagnant in our life, but to grow as better Christians and better spouses to our mates and help us to be what you would have us to be in our lives as we look into your Word and apply the principles that you have given us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.